Hello and welcome at the PAVE podcast, created for the professional working to end the violence against women and children. I'm Marianne, your host, and before we get to the interview, I need to make a confession. It has been a while since you heard from me. I did leave a blog post in May 2017 explaining that I had to visit the ER and will be back. I fulfilled my promise because I'm back. Sadly, it took a while for the doctors to find out what was going on and for me to heal, which is something that to some extent I still do. But I'm getting better every day and been working in front and behind the scenes to make PAVE a better place. Maybe you noticed that when you visit the old site, you've been redirected to alianaloyega.com. I thought I could best serve you if I put my blog, speaking website, and information for professionals just on one website, namely alianaloyega.com. But you came here to listen to Gary Gibson. Remember that this interview was recorded in a time I was already ill, but didn't know it yet. I'm certain that this interview and Carrie's uplifting personality and interesting stories about the people she has met and the work she does will inspire you in your life and work. Hello, Carrie. Welcome at the PAVE podcast. Can you tell us more about yourself? Can you, for example, tell us about your life and what you do now? Uh, I have been engaged with the United Nations about a year now, uh, United Nations women to be specific. And... It was due to uh, my, my dear friend, Kazar Jacobson, who drew me in. Um, she had mentioned what I do here in Canada um, for all sorts of philanthropic reasons with business development and politics and advocacy and whatnot. And she had mentioned them to the, the people at uh, UN Women, and they're like, well, let's meet Carrie and see if she can do the same for us. <laughs> And so, you know, since October, essentially, in October, um, I brought up uh, some dignitaries from UN Women uh, to represent and uh, to connect with Canadian influencers, um, whether they be CEOs or politicians or leaders in advocacy, uh, and to have that interaction and to have that introduction, because, of course, uh, with the inception of our new very social government, uh, Trudeau has decided that he's going to support uh, United Nations interests in Canada. I, I must say, you know, it was that uh, we're, we're pretty proud of him, especially in comparison. <laughs> Wrong, yes. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, so the, the philanthropic work that I've been doing here on the various foundations and organizations uh, raising millions for uh, those who who need it and building alliances that will sh- will will show long term um, positive consequences. Uh, then I basically, you know, what was it? They're like, oh well, we'd like to connect and we'd like to engage and we'd like to build this in in Canada, starting in British Columbia and seeing where we go. And uh, so I had been doing that, and so they have um, given me the title of Planet Fifty Fifty Champion. Um, it's a Planet 5050 champion is basically uh, a champion of the cause, of, of, of the, the causes that uh, the UN women represent and in order to uh, champion their needs and uh, associations and whatnot. And so, and so I've been acting in, um, you know, in, in order to liaise between various entities uh, um, to, to connect them, uh, to give them the resources that they need to uh, uh, 
perhaps uh, continue work in, in Canada and, and engage Canadian resources to help their work globally. So we're very excited about some things that we've been doing, some, some projects that we've been working on. And after there was a, there's a little mini conference that we held in October. Um, and, and so that was, that was basically an introduction, an introduction to Canada for UN women. And since then, um, we have developed relations with provincial, municipal, and federal governments. Uh, we have developed relations, uh, relations with uh, all sorts of entities locally, um, uh, commercial entities uh, that are supporting us doing various things. And we'll be welcoming uh, UN Women Dignitaries to Canada yet again in British Columbia on May 28th. Okay. Um, when we first met in, in October in Canada, uh, we thought, oh, well, we, we really want to do an event that is, is focused on something that is important to UN women, uh, one of their greater causes, but something that also affects Canadian women and, and youth. And, and people don't realize that the issue of, of child brides is something that is is significant in North America. Like, why would that be, you know, um, a North American issue? Well, it is. Unfortunately, it's it's and and it's very uh, uh, predominant here in British Columbia. We have because Canada is is multinational. We are um, we are very internationally uh, uh, focused. We welcome everybody. We love everybody. <laughs> It's, that's you know we're all the Canadians. <laughs> we're very proud of being you know interracial or whatever you want to to call it. Uh, um, we've opened our borders even more so in in recent months. Um, <laughs> so Let me guess, guess. from uh, January November. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, out of necessity, and uh, uh, <laughs> happy with that. Yes, <laughs> but because of um, our very international culture, um, there are many women here who are affected by early enforced marriage, um, as well as people don't realize we actually have uh, a, a cult, a polygamous cult here in British Columbia, known as Bountiful. It is something that, yeah, people aren't familiar with. And so this is a polygamous cult that um, exists in, um, in British Columbia uh, where uh, older men are married to much younger girls, uh, multiple much younger girls. And um, these, these girls are not able to get an education. They don't have lives of their own. They are used for breeding. Um, it's it's dehumanizing and it's it's brainwashing quite often a lot of them have stockholm syndrome and and don't understand they can have more and that this doesn't have to be their life but you know it's it's something that we need to to change in the culture we have tried to pass bills these bills have been called uh, barbaric cultural practices bills and which nobody really wants to get on board with because they're called barbaric cultural cultural practices bills. So um, we're working to build awareness and funds and advocacy and all of that wonderful thing. Educate the community on on what is going on 
in North America with early and forced marriage um, and, and, and repair this and, and make some progress politically uh, because, we, you know, making noise in Canada actually has a voice. We have a voice. You know, we don't have a dictatorship, which is wonderful. We have ways and means to have our uh, uh, voices heard. And so we are very excited to be having this event, May 28th. It's called Not Yet for the Dress. And it is very much an international event, as it should be. Um, we're not focusing on one country or another as being responsible for this, because it's all countries. This is, this is global. This is worldwide. So we are having influencers uh, arrive from everywhere, from India, Ghana, um, uh, Italy. Oh, my goodness. We have the... I know. Well, well, Romeo and Juliet. I mean, they were, you know, what was it, uh, child's, you know, um, what was it, a child bride and husband, but was it at 13, I suppose, right? 13? Um, yes, yes. And so they were very young, right? And, uh, and, and look what happened to them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get into, <laughs> into literature now. But, um, no, actually, and until recently, I'm not sure what the current age is, but until recently, it was actually 14 years old, was the age of consent for marriage in Italy. And um, there's a gentleman there by the name of Gerardo Sacco. Now, Gerardo is a very dear friend. And he is also he also happens to be um, an incredibly amazing artist and jeweler and goldsmith. Uh, he was Elizabeth Taylor's uh, uh, jeweler. Yes, all of that beautiful bling that you see in her movies—that's Gerardo. Wow. So Gerardo is being the amazing soul that he is. And he is creating a one-of-a-kind piece to celebrate women. And he is going to bring that piece to Canada and we are going to auction it. So that is going to that is going to be on the uh, around the neck of of um, one of our our celebrities, uh, Canadian celebrities, um, in order to showcase it, and uh, and then it'll be auctioned off at the event. Uh, but this is this is kind of examples of of our very um, uh, international. Uh, collaboration and showing support from all sides. Uh, for instance, uh, Ricky Kedge, um, he is a South Asian Grammy Award winning, Grammy Award nominated multiply uh, uh, composer and musician. And he is also bringing multiple Grammy Award winning, multi Grammy Award nominated um, musicians to come with him and perform at this event and they are from all over the world including Canada actually he is he's bringing um uh, an award-winning Canadian uh singer uh to to work to do this project with us and not only that he is creating a new piece uh, uh about this cause about early enforced marriage um in order to um highlight to the music community and the music appreciation um, through through launching this at the event, this this piece at the event, 
and radio play and whatnot. And the last piece that he created for a cause, it won the Grammy. So we're, we're hopeful that this gains some attention on a worldwide stage through his music as well. Um, so we're just very excited about everything that's coming together for this. And uh, uh, we know it's going to be extremely successful. And, and we are very proud and very honored to have so many people uh, connect to this cause and and look deep into their hearts and, and understand that we can't let these children continue to suffer the way that they're suffering. I mean, this is, this is endorsing statutory rape if we let it continue. And we cannot let that continue. It really sounds like an exciting way to raise awareness. It's really one of a kind, but really, well, it sounds also fun to be a part of because you are dealing with such a difficult subject and people well regular people i notice they like to refrain from difficult subjects and this is well a good way to raise attention and also well make it well is it wrong to say fun? Yes, it's, it's a fun way it's it's, uh, it's really yeah, I, I really like the originality also from this idea. And But I was wondering, because you're really passionate, and when you are old and are looking back to your life, what do you want to have accomplished? And what is the desired outcome of this part of your work? Because you do so many things, but this part of your work, what do you want to have accomplished at the end of your life? I just hope that that through my work, I have made a difference in people's lives. That I have, um, I'm not bothered about, I'm not bothered about recognition. I'm not bothered about awards and fanfare and being on stages and things like that. I just want someone's life to have been changed for the better uh, because. I, I did what I should, you know, and, and it was interesting. Um, a friend of mine asked me, it's like, well, why, why do you, why do you do what you do? You know, like, why are you doing it? It's like, and I like a very, like, kind of like, like, why are you bothering? Right. Oh, then, yes. You know, and it's like, well, if, if not me, then who, you know, I'm given all these blessings in my life. I've given, I've been given so much perspective. I've been, um, given, the ability to connect to some amazing, uh, very high profile resources and that in turn are able to highlight these, th these, these causes and, and actually do something about them. So why shouldn't we? Let's just fix everything. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm, I'm inherently a fixer at heart. So what we said, I would love to fix the world. Can relate to that. What are currently and professionally the most pressing issues or challenges you face? I'm really cu curious about that too. Professionally, uh, the most challenging issues I face, uh, my goodness, so is it, it's just, um, I, I don't think professionally I'm really facing a whole lot of issues. Everything seems to be going along smoothly at this moment. You know, sometimes it is difficult to make people understand why we should do what we should do. Mm -hmm. And that's, Sometimes we need to take leaps of faith and sometimes things are a gamble. And, 
you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you're going to understand that. If you're not, then sometimes it takes a bit of convincing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And is there a way we can support you in your work? It's very interesting because uh, as, as a woman, I found that, you know, it was being brought up and, you know, it was in a certain era and <laughs> uh, then, um, <laughs> we won't specify as what what era um it was it's, it's rude to talk about money and but i've gotten over that and that's exactly what we need to support this cause is we need to close the funding gaps that exist in, in issues that uh, surround gender equality, that surround gender-based violence. Um, Madam Lakshmi Puri um, told me a, a figure uh, that really stuck with me. Um, she told me that globally, we spend $1.5 trillion on cleaning up after gender-based violence, which is horrifying. It's horrifying. Can you imagine if that money was invested? In I, I just was the... trying to picture the amount of money, really? but I can't. I can't even imagine how many, how much that must be. That's a lot of zeros. That's a yes. whole lot of zeros. And if that was invested properly, being proactive, uh, instead what we of cleaning up the mess. Exactly. Instead of reactive, being proactive instead of reactive, then we would be in a much better place. Canada wouldn't be ranked 35th for gender equality. We would be up in the top 10, top five, where we should be. You know, the fact that we're 35th is very shameful for Canada. And we really, I mean, we've apparently dropped like five points since last year. So I hope this year, I hope we're I hope we're scooching back up the food chain because this is, you know, this is not something that should be happening. We well, you're on the team, about. so they have to go up now. <laughs> <laughs> go team! <laughs> go Carrie. <laughs> yes, we need to model ourselves after, after uh, the Prime Minister of Iceland because, I mean, he's got things going on. He, he just passed um, actual legislation mandating equal pay uh you know what was it for women and, and men you know they they are number one in in the rankings for gender equality and deservedly so i was really blessed to be at international women's day at the un um and it was amazing um famzile the director of un women was bestowed a gift from the prime minister of iceland he had baked a cake for her. He had a cake and iced it, brought it in, and it was the most amazing, mm -hmm. the most appropriate gesture. And I think everybody, <laughs> man, woman, and child in, the, in that audience that day, swooned. <laughs> yes, I can so imagine. Um, That's what we aspire to from our leaders. Absolutely. That thoughtfulness and that compassion and that uh, understanding. I think that's amazing. Do you have um, a touching experience that you can share with us? Something that you uh, witnessed at work or something? That I witnessed at work? Um, oh, is it my, my work is, is interesting. Well, 
I, I, I can't say anything's been touching um, through my engineering. Um, <laughs> that's, that, that's fun. Um, obviously, that's exciting. That's stimulating, but touching maybe not. But, but perhaps with you and women, um, because of, of the interactions that I've had at, at the United Nations with UN women, um, I met an amazing man. His name was Wellington Chibebe. He was on a panel with a bunch of amazing women, uh, such as Madame Lakshmi Puri, um, who I was there to, to listen to. And they were talking about um, uh, skills. Um, what was it? Uh, establishing and expanding um, uh, skills, uh, uh, work skills for women and girls. Um, and he is representative of the International Trade Union. And he is, <laughs> he's all kinds of amazing. And, and so I was listening to him. Someone had given me his biography. So my brain started turning. And I realized that he must have come in contact with my uncle years ago when my uncle um, was fighting apartheid in South Africa. Oh. And because of, of where this man is from, and, and he was in Zimbabwe, and um, my uncle had a um, kind of a, whenever he got in trouble uh, for being too active <laughs> against apartheid, um, he would go to Zimbabwe till things kind of cooled down. And, <laughs> and, um, and so he, in fact, so, so when Wellington Shibabe came off the stage, I, I hijacked him. <laughs> I'm like, I said to him, my name's, my name's Carrie Gibson. You wouldn't happen to know my uncle Roy Cook, would you? And he just looks at me. And he just, it's John John. Well, in fact, I do. <laughs> no way. And so, always that we engage in this conversation, and um, and and he asked me to keep in touch, and uh, and gave me his card, and and so we went about our way because they were starting the next panel, and um, then about uh, this must be about eight months later, I get this really curious uh, message on Facebook. This message uh, was from a girl um, in Uganda, and she had she saw that I had I think I had Instagrammed or posted uh, about meeting Wellington Shibebe. I wanted the cousins, my cousins, to know that I met this guy that met her uncle, who has of course unfortunately passed away. So it was just kind of a wonderful, you know, kind of can you, you know thing to like to have them remembered in that in that kind of situation. And uh, especially because my uncle was so incredible and um, to have him being remembered in the UNGA um, was so appropriate. Um, but she had been searching for Wellington Chibebe and found the post about him. And because she couldn't find some contact information on him, she contacted me instead. Now, you get these messages through Facebook, and you're a little bit concerned that it's, you know, you know the, the prince from some foreign country who wants to give you $2 million, and, you know. <laughs> and you end up at Dr. Phil. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. So I was, I was a, little, a little bit concerned, and, and so I kind of just, you know, poked around a little bit. 
And um, she was telling me a story of how she was being kept basically as uh, in, in a labor camp, um, uh, being forced uh, to, to work as a slave. And now this is a very, con you know, concerning, excuse me, issue, of course. Um, so, but she gave me so much information. I'm like, I can't ignore this, you know, and, and even if it is a scam, it's, it's my duty to, to check it out, you know, and so I contacted Wellington. Now, Wellington's a rock star. He's a total rock star. And he immediately leapt into action. He's like, okay, send me as much information as I can, as you can. I have people on the ground. They We'll investigate. I said, well, be careful. You know, is it, uh, we have all these issues and, um, you know, is it, there's all these moving parts. I mean, there was police, police officers, police officers who happened to be the sons of these, of the, the lady who ran this house of slaves that she had essentially um, uh, uh, brought in from other countries with false promises and then uh, kept them, held them hostage to, uh, to do, her, uh, do her work. And, um, and so he, and so he's like, Oh, no, no problem. Right. And, uh, uh, so he kept me appraised of everything. And, and this, this woman, um, had the advantage of being literate. The, uh, captors thought that perhaps she wasn't literate and that she just wanted to play, you know, candy, uh, what is it? Candy crush or whatever it is on her cell phone. And so she was allowed to use her cell phone every once in a while to, Play games or things like that, um, but she was she was she was very literate and was able to express to me all these things that were transpiring. And so together through these interchanges, um, what was it? Uh, I, I I get these messages. Um, what was it? One day with the confirmation that she's on a plane home. Ah, oh. not only that, but Wellington's people made them pay her for her time that she was there working. Oh, what a hero. Promised. Ah. Oh. So, sorry, that was a very long story, but it was, that was an amazing moment when she was messaging me that she was on her way home to her family, safe, with cash. Um, what was it? Uh, and, and then she went to this one step forward. Um, she had met many women in similar situations when she was there and she wanted to make sure that, that she did everything that she could to give them the same chance that she was able to have uh, through contacting me and then in turn Wellington and, and his organization. And, and so she wrote out a statement with all of the names and phone numbers and everything that she had collected uh, while she was there. And so currently, Wellington is, is basically addressing the situations of all these women, you know, in, in, within uh, uh, Uganda that, that this woman had met, um, you know, in her travels as, as they were all getting herded to uh, various workhouses. Uh, because of course, you know, economically, there's not a lot of opportunities for, for young ladies educated or otherwise in certain countries. And so they take whatever they can, you know, are offered. They see these ads in newspapers, um, you know, and get on a plane and, um, and hope for the best. And uh, most, more often than not, 
there's no job. There's no, there's, there's not the lifestyle that they are, are hoping to, to find, you know, they're being held um, for various purposes, I suppose. In some ways she was lucky that she, it, it wasn't, um, uh, they weren't kept as, as sex slaves in that um, circumstance, but I mean, we have this problem worldwide, whether they be for labor or for sex or for otherwise, um, you know, human trafficking is, 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 is a horrible thing, but yes. Yes. Um, I was wondering, who are the women who inspire you the most? Women who inspire me the most. Actually, it's, it's kind of funny and it sounds so bad to say is, um, is that um, there's, there's some men who inspire me the most. Uh, is it uh, that, that kind of drive me? And it's cheesy as hell, but it's my granddad. My granddad is the reason I do everything, you know. He unfortunately is not with us anymore, but he's one of these men that I wish everybody knew. And um, <laughs> The granddad everybody should have? A granddad everyone should have. I mean, he is, um, he's the cause for my my belief in gender equality and my demanding equal everything from those around me. Um, he's the reason I, I do so much uh, um, philanthropically. He's the reason um, I was brought up in, in such an open and loving home. Um, you know, what was it with the focus on, on global affairs and education and and doing the right thing and and helping your neighbor and your your fellow man like whether that be locally or globally just be always always there and uh, he was he was just a brilliant man he was a d-day vet who came home from the war and instead of falling apart he realized that he he needed to be there for all of those uh people in his community that needed him uh, because so many people came back broken physically or otherwise. And You're he, talking about the Second World War? or Second World War, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was, he was there on D-Day and, and, uh, and wow. you know, saw the atrocities and, and his, you know, it was that he had to step up because their, their first in charge, unfortunately, was shot right in front of him. Um, he was the, my granddad was a communications officer and... Um, and he, you know, what was it, helped lead them to victory. And uh, for that, I was very proud, but I was also, uh, but what I'm most proud is what transpired after, um, is, is the work he did in his community, the, that he adopted all of these boys and girls, um, that, that otherwise may, didn't really have parents who could, who had the ability to, to care for them as they would have, would have liked. You know, so many people came back from that war with like PTSD as we know it now, shell shock, um, you know, or injuries, things like that. Um, mothers were desperately um, working several jobs in order to uh, provide for their newly returned husbands and their children. And uh, granddad uh, had two sons, my, my father and my, my uncle Rick. And he took, took the rest on as well. He took them um, to many of his jobs. He actually drove the Zamboni at, uh, um, oh, it was a Webley Stadium. And do you know what a Zamboni is? 
<laughs> it is, it, it's that machine that you drive on the ice to make it smooth. <laughs> ah, oh, I had no idea that they call it that way. I was thinking like, what is it? <laughs> I know. I think it's named after the inventor, you know. Um, so, so the Zamboni, he drove I should Zamboni. know that because the province I live in, this the skating province of the world, kind of. Oh, wow. Well, yes. now you know. Now you can impress your friends and, and, and tell them, oh, do you know that that's a Zamboni? <laughs> yes, because we even have the Elfstedentocht. And the Elfstedentocht is, um, well, the last time was like 20 years ago because it has to be really cold. It has to be natural ice. And if it's really, 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 really cold, like almost people dying on the ice, then mm. people go, uh, crazy men go onto the ice and women. They will skate uh, yeah. through 11 cities of uh, my province. That is yeah. so cool. And when you see them on TV, they have like, uh, their, uh, their eyes are frozen, literally. Oh. And they can't see. Many of them can't see anymore. They have eyes on the beard, if they have a beard. And it's like, it's horrific. <laughs> they are crazy. So, That's crazy. That's so extreme. For me, not knowing, what, a, what did you say it, called? it was called? And yes. so cozy? Zamboni. Zamboni. Ah, I should have known that. <laughs> but I'm sorry, I was interrupting you, but I was like, how can I not know this? <laughs> yes, yes, my grandfather. So he, you know, he, he taught the uh, neighborhood kids ice skating and hockey and soccer and, Aww. you know, was it just, and rugby and, and all these things that, you know, dads do with their kids. Uh, so he just had this whole entourage that, you know, always it sent him around and I just, and then, then he took me on um, when I was very young. I spent a lot of time with him uh, back and forth from Canada. He's, he was in London um, and I was, I was really blessed to have that quality time with him as he taught me about life. I remember walking through Hyde Park. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Hyde Park, but it's, um, it, it's a bit, of a of a culture clash, I think. Um, we said uh, it's it's a very interesting place to be, and is very uh, and and so walking through there, um, it, it was an experience. It was it was an education, and and so my granddad would explain things to me, you know, just very matter of factly, as as I would ask them, and uh, he would never hide things from me. And uh, I remember being four years old and holding my granddad's hand and walking through Hyde Park. And I see these boys on the side of the hill being very nakedly loving <laughs> and going, Granddad, what are they doing? <laughs> my granddad, what was it? Uh, instead of what you might expect from someone of his era who, um, you know, the majority were extremely homophobic and, and whatnot. He just looks at me. He's like, oh, Carrie. Because they're poofs. He goes, we had t plenty of them in the army. They just love each other. <laughs> and that was my explanation as to what gay meant, you know. <laughs> it wasn't exactly a PC term in today's, you know, today's terms. But uh, um, that was it. Uh, uh, but that's what he, you know, in, in a very 
you know, well-intentioned way, um, you know, explains the situation uh, to me um, in a manner that I would understand it in a very accepting way uh, that this is, this is life and they just love each other and that's okay. And I thought like, you know, it's like, that was like the best lesson ever. And, and what a great role model. He, he is indeed a great role model. If he is, he absolutely is. Um, did you recently read a book that inspired you? Oh my goodness, I've read lots of books that inspire me. Um, it was it, uh, but my favorite book. Um, I, I, I it's it's inspirational, perhaps, and not the way that you might think. No, <laughs> think of, like, no I'm you know, curious. <laughs> It's well. A lot of people um, take a look at like self-help books, for instance, as um, you know, is it like Atlas Shrugged or something as being inspirational? And, and I agree, they they are inspirational books, but that's not what has inspired me uh, from literature. Um, it was one book in particular that just that always seems to resonate with me, and I always go back to is a book called The Red Dog. <laughs> <laughs> you have to explain this to me. <laughs> the Red Dog is uh, uh, written by uh, Louis uh, de Bernier. Um, and he, you know, he, he's written, he's very prolific. He's written many books, but The Red Dog is my favorite. Now, the reason it's my favorite, it's, it's the story of an actual real dog. There's actually a statue of this real dog in Perth, I think it is. Uh, Adelaide. Oh my goodness. It's somewhere in Australia. It's somewhere in a city in Australia. There's a, blonde, a bronze monument to this beautiful dog that, that actually existed. And this book is a collection of the stories that this, uh, from the people, from the, from the people's mouths of, of, that were affected by this special dog. They all had a story of how profoundly this animal had impacted them in their life. Wow. And it was, it, I, I, I see it as being wonderful in many ways. Uh, for one, that one creature could, could affect so many others, you know, um, but also as, as a community, how, how the community would, would connect in such a way was, um, it, it showcases what we can do when, when we're together, when we work together and we respect each other and, and work as an organism uh, rather than working in our silos. Um, what kind of beauty can be created out of that? Yes. Wow. Is it uh, by um, coincidence that story about the dog and the train? That um, where he waits for his owner to return. Yes. That is, is, is the it, Japanese it, dog. There's a different dog, but oh, he, that's he has a Yachu or something like that. That's another dog. It's another dog, absolutely. Oh. Um, but it's, it's just as special a dog, but, but yeah, <laughs> a different dog. <laughs> do you maybe? It's my last question, um, sadly. But do you perhaps have a, a quote or something that you? Uh, can share with us something that's <laughs> special meaning for you. 
<laughs> okay, my my favorite quotes come from a very unlikely source. <laughs> my favorite quotes come from Dolly Parton. Do you know who Dolly Parton is? Yes, of course. Door. She is all kinds of colorful, and but she's got one of the biggest hearts, and you can just see it. She twinkles, and I love twinkly people. And she has said so many things that I, I think are awesome. I mean, what was it? Uh, I, the bigger the hair, the, the closer to God. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know that was I I, I love her I, I love her uh, her quotes but what was it I think the one uh, from her that um, that sticks with me is that um, uh, I, I can't remember the phrasing of this but something to the effect of in order to experience the rainbow you have to get through the rain you have to experience the rain and so Oh, is it uh, that that really resonates with me? Because you do. I mean, we've all had struggles. I've certainly had struggles. You've had struggles. We've we've managed to overcome them and and find positivity out of that, and uh, somehow you know make it make it work for us. Yes, we it made us stronger, wiser, and um, in my case, and I believe in your case to appreciate life even more. Absolutely. It makes things uh, crisper and, yes. and uh, more enjoyable knowing the alternatives, right? Uh, finding uh, gratefulness in the, even the smallest of things. I can remember that it's just a part of my story that uh, in my darkest of times that I um, even found gratefulness in um, a piece of grass. Now yeah. that things are working out, I'm really like, wow, <laughs> uh, experiencing the good things even more. Carrie, I want to thank you for being a guest on the show. I'm looking forward to hearing more from you in the future. And I want to thank the listener for tuning in. If you're going through tough times or have to deal with difficult situations, which of course occurs in our line of work, just remember Carrie's quote, to experience the rainbow, you have to get through the rain. You can find the show notes, links and references at alianaloyega.com. If you liked this episode, please give it a rating in the iTunes store. We come back sh shortly with a new episode of the PAVE podcast. Until then, bye-bye.